The title of today's sermon is Our Exceeding Righteousness. And this is part two, the final installment of our series, which we began last weekend. We will be taking our text from Matthew 5, 38 to 42. Let us all rise from our seats and let's read Matthew 5, 38 to 42. You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Let's bow our heads in prayer at this time. Lord, we give you thanks and praise for today. Once again, a blessed opportunity to be illumined by your word. And for us, Lord, to comprehend what it is that is your will for us, not only in our conduct, but most especially in our inner lives and character. We pray, O Lord, that as clays of jar or jars of clay, Lord, you will shape and mold us according to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray for myself, Lord, that you might anoint me with the Holy Spirit. Allow me, Lord, to speak, Lord, even beyond the manuscript that was prepared today. I pray, Father, that your people will be attentive and that they will receive your word with uh, eagerness, with enthusiasm, and with a desire to follow and obey you. Lord, we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen and amen. In last weekend's sermon, we actually tackled this passage that I just read to you. And this passage, of course, happens to be a very difficult passage uh, to interpret. And a lot of people have tried to interpret this uh, literally. And of course, sadly, this is not really the intention of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I hope that uh, in last week and sermon, you were illumined with the principles, the general principles uh, regarding this particular passage. And hopefully, uh, you got to learn a lot of things. However, I understand that there probably remains a few more uh, issues, most especially in relation to application. But just to give us a little review, uh, remember I gave you a little outline, and let's, uh, let's review the outline once again uh, right now. In verse 38, we talked about the requirement of the law for injury, and then in verses 39 to 42, we talked about the righteousness of the oppressed. And so the title of our sermon is The Exceeding Righteousness of God Within Us. And obviously, this is something that is expected of all believers, genuine believers in Christ, because we are supposed to live this supernatural life that God has given us through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That is why it is expected that we bear uh, fruit in our lives, 
that we would have the fruit of the Spirit, we would have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, goodness, and so on and so forth. These are things that are supposed to be uh, seen in our lives because a radical change has taken place because we are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. We know that in the new covenant, God has replaced our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh, and He has placed His Holy Spirit upon us that we might obey and follow His commandments. And therefore, as Paul says, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. And so this is what is expected of those who are genuine believers in Christ. It is expected that we live exceedingly above beyond the kind of righteousness that this world is capable of. We far exceed human righteousness. And again, it is because of the supernatural life given to us by the Holy Spirit. And this is something that Paul wanted the Ephesian church to be enlightened about. Uh, he was praying that th the spiritual eyes that they had would be opened, that they might realize the power that is within them. The same power that resurrected the Lord Jesus Christ is the same power that resides in us. That is why we have the power to overcome our temptations. We have the power to go through the trials and adversities of life with the peace, the joy, and the calm that comes from our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is really the bottom line. This is what Jesus was really trying to explain to the people of that time, that if you really have the Lord in your life, you would be able to have this exceeding righteousness. Now, as I mentioned to you, uh, probably the missing piece or the enigma that remains with us is how do we apply this passage? For example, when it says, whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. How, how do we apply that? How does this pan out in reality? And then you have a verse here that says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. So uh, does that mean that we are to allow ourselves to be trampled upon? Does that mean that we allow ourselves to become like doormats? And then it says also here, whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. It seems like uh, we are allowing or permitting abusive behavior to... Uh, to be employed even against us or even against other people. And so again, the application here, I believe, is what was lacking in my preaching last uh, week. And that is why I decided that this needs to be a two-part series to bring clarity so that when we are faced with a situation, a situation that probably involves insults, uh, persecution, or injustice, uh, what do we do in those cases? How do we apply these principles in our lives? So hopefully our study today will truly bring clarity. And uh, when there is clarity, of course, when we understand 
what the Word of God has to say, then it is much easier to apply it. Uh, it is very difficult to apply something that you do not understand. Now, having said that, of course, it is a challenge. It is a challenge when our pride gets hurt, our egos get hurt. And so it is a challenge, really, to rise above those uh, perceived hurts that we have uh, received in our lives. And, and, and how do we overcome that? How do we become like Jesus Christ in terms of reaction and response? How do we cultivate this, this inner life such that it becomes natural on our part? Do we have this uh, self-sacrificing, non-retaliatory kind of spirit? Because this was the kind of spirit that the Lord Jesus Christ had, and this was the kind of spirit that the apostles had as well. Now they serve as models worthy of emulation to us. And that is why in the passage that we will be studying, I will be looking at specific applications coming from the Lord Jesus Christ and even from Paul himself. Now, let's dive into our study and our text today. And so we will begin with uh, verse 39. It says here, But I say to you, do not resist him who is evil. Now, again, what's very important to take note uh, in this case is the pronoun. And the Lord Jesus Christ, obviously, is the one that is being referred to here when he says, I now, the word I here in the Greek happens to be a contrast emphasis. And the point of Jesus Christ really is that he is saying, I am the one who is speaking. It is not a rabbi who is teaching. It is not a uh, Pharisee who is speaking. It is not traditions that we are speaking about here. It is I who is speaking here. I am the Son of God. And because I am the Son of God, my interpretation is the only one true and accurate interpretation. And so the point of Jesus Christ is that you have to pay attention to what I have to say, because what I have to say is the true interpretation of this passage. And again, of course, that is always true whenever the Lord Jesus Christ speaks. Whatever he says is the truth. Whatever he says is accurate. Whatever he says is the perfect interpretation. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ declares this as part of his personhood when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is why this is something we need to take note of. This is Jesus speaking to us. This is our Lord our Master and our Savior who is speaking to us. And we better pay attention because what He has to say is the truth and nothing but the truth. And it is the truth that will set us free. Now, He says here, But I say to you, do not resist Him who is evil. Now, the word resist comes from the Greek word anthistheme or Thame, uh, with a long E, of course, which means to set against or oppose. 
Now, what the Lord is forbidding here is personal retaliation or revenge. That is what he is trying to prevent here. He's trying to prevent retaliation or revenge. And then he goes on and he says, But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, the phrase whoever slaps in the Greek means a sharp slap. So again, the question is, what if this happens to me? And obviously, in this world that we are living in, uh, evil things like this are not uh, uncommon. They do happen, and it could possibly happen to us as well. So if, if somebody happens to slap us, how do we react? How do we respond? What should be the posture of our hearts? Now, again, we want to determine the application here because uh, we want to be able to apply this in a manner by which we are not violating the spirit of the scriptures. And so I guess the best example we can come up with here is how did Jesus Christ respond when this happened to him literally? And so I will bring you to John chapter 18 and verse 19 at this time. It says, The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together and I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I have said. Now watch verse 22. It says, when he had said this, one of the officers standing nearby struck Jesus. Notice what it says here. They struck Jesus saying, is that the way you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But if rightly, why do you strike me? So the question we have to ask ourselves is, when Jesus Christ was struck, when he was slapped, when he was given a hard slap, did he also turn his other cheek? Of course, if you're reading together with me and paying attention to all the details, you will see here that Jesus did not apply this literally. Of course, uh, in the testimony of some uh, believers, I know that they have applied this literally in their, uh, in their naive uh, way of looking at this passage. This is how some of them had responded. I recall the story of one Christian who was confronted by a toughie, uh, a street uh, tough guy, and he was, he was slapped. And his reaction and his response to that was that he turned his other cheek as well. Now, interestingly, what had happened was when he turned his other cheek and this man attempted to slap him, all of a sudden, there was something like an invisible wall between the cheek of that Christian and the hand of the one who was uh, about to slap him. And the result was, 
what, uh, what the street toffee hit was an invisible wall. And he could not understand what happened. It was really supernatural. It was miraculous. God had somehow honored the faith of this believer, of this Christian. And the result, by the way, was that, was that this uh, uh, street toffee became converted to the Lord. Now, having said that, now, again, what had happened here was God must have honored the faith of this believer in his being naive, uh, in his being very simple-minded, being very childlike in faith. God honored his faith. Now, I'd like to say, however, that even if you happen to be naive or ignorant and you try to apply this in the same way that this Christian applied it, it is no guarantee, there is no assurance that you will have this invisible wall between your cheek and the hand of that person who is going to attack you. So once again, let me go back to what uh, uh, happened in the case of Jesus Christ, how he applied. Remember, it was Jesus who taught this verse of Scripture that when you are slapped on one cheek, you are to turn the other as well. But notice, Jesus did not apply it that way. And so, the question is, how did he respond? Well, he responded with a cry of protest. And we ask the reason why. Why was there a cry of protest? Why did he not apply this literally? And this is the reason. The reason is that Jesus was trying to uphold the law that was being broken. Jesus was upholding the law that was being broken. Jesus was being punished for a crime that had not yet been proven. So in other words, Jesus had not been proven guilty, and yet he was already being punished. He was already being considered guilty of the crime that he was being accused of. And obviously, Jesus wanted to prevent that. The law, whether it be the law of the Bible or civil law, needs to be respected, and it needs to be obeyed. Remember that in last week in sermon, I talked about uh, Romans chapter 13, wherein we are supposed to submit ourselves to governing authority. So again, Jesus was merely upholding the law. Now, let's look at how the others had applied this. Let's go to the example of, of Paul himself. Because he likewise experienced a similar situation of being slapped. And so, let's look at uh, Acts chapter 23 and beginning at verse 1. It says, Paul, looking intently at the council, said, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. The high priest Ananias commanded those standing beside him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit to try me according to the law and in violation of the law order me to be struck? But the bystanders said, Do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was high priest. 
For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So again, we ask ourselves the question, when Paul was ordered to be struck by the high priest himself, did Paul offer the other cheek? Did he do that? And again, the answer is no. In fact, when we examine verse 5, there was even a note of sarcasm on the part of Paul. Remember, he was addressing the high priest at that time, which was probably Ananias. And notice that he was saying that he did not recognize the high priest. Now, that, of course, is impossible because Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was, was uh, a leader among the Pharisees. And obviously, he knew who the high priest was. He recognized who the high priest was. And so why was he saying this? Well, again, as I mentioned to you, it was a note of sarcasm. He was really trying to say, well, you're supposed to be the high priest. And as the high priest, you're supposed to uphold Jewish law. You're supposed to uphold the law of the land. And yet, look at what you've done. You have, you have allowed me to be struck. And this is in violation of the law. What you have done is illegal. You have not yet proven anything at all. And yet you as high priest, the one who is supposed to implement the law correctly, you yourself are the one who is violating the law. So again, notice the sarcasm here on the part of Paul. And that is why, again, it would be naive on our part uh, for us to apply this literally. However, something that I'd like to point out, going back to the case of the Lord Jesus Christ, even while the Lord Jesus Christ corrected the people who struck him, notice that the Lord Jesus Christ did not retaliate. He did not retaliate. He did not strike back physically. And so again, this is the point that, that Jesus is really trying to bring to the fore, that we are to have this non-retaliatory, self-sacrificing spirit. And of course, the primary goal why we, we should be doing this is the glory of God. And we must never ever forget, by the way, that the Lord has called us in the book of Acts as witnesses. We are supposed to be witnesses. We're supposed to be proclaimers. We're supposed to be heralds of the message of God's word. And again, when we proclaim the message of God's word, we do not simply proclaim it in word, but we also proclaim it in deed. So we're not just supposed to be spokesmen. We are to be men of character, men of dignity, men of integrity, so that the words that we speak are backed up by the very lives that God has given to us, the lives that are supposed to be changed, the lives that are supposed to display the power of God, the, Holy, the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And so again, let me just take note of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ did not retaliate physically. He corrected, he rebuked those who struck him, but he did not retaliate physically. And the same thing is something that we discover here in the case of Paul. Paul did not strike back the high priest. 
he did not uh, fight physically. So this is something that, that we discover in the case of uh, Paul himself. And, and the question, of course, is why did he respond in sarcasm? Well, remember what the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. The high priest was required of God to uphold Jewish law. And according to Jewish law, you do not uh, allow somebody to be struck without um, any uh, proven evidence. And so that is what uh, Jewish law was supposed to, uh, was supposed to, uh, it, was, it was how Jewish law rather was supposed to be implemented and the high priest was breaking the law. Now, Paul was not concerned about personal injury. That was not really his concern. In the case of the Lord Jesus Christ, the same thing. If you notice, the Lord Jesus Christ did not say, why do you insult me? That's not, that's not how Jesus responded. But Jesus responded in a way to correct them. And the same thing is found in the case of Jesus. I'm sorry, in the case of Paul. Paul was not responding to personal insult or personal injury. What he wanted was to, was to uphold the law. And it was being broken. So again, very important that we understand how uh, this is applied. All right? Now, the question, of course, that we want to answer is, what did Jesus really mean with this, with this statement? But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Well, the answer to that is when we are mistreated, when we are insulted, when we are ridiculed, when we are held in contempt, we are not supposed to uh, act in revenge for any injury or wrong that is done to us. We must rid ourselves of that desire to put matters into our own hands. And of course, that might become a temptation, most especially when we are uh, greatly provoked. But then again, let us remember, we are to have this non-retaliatory kind of spirit because our desire is to glorify our God and we want to be a witness to this world. Remember that Paul himself in the book of Philippians calls us to live our lives as shining lights. But sometimes what has happened in Christianity is that instead of shining lights, we have become glowing darkness at times. And of course, I say that um, in, uh, as, a, as a rebuke to many believers because oftentimes that is what we find. I mean, sometimes we find Christians and even ministers of God living far worse than people who are supposedly pagans, people who do not know God. And that is why, you know, uh, this is a rebuke. This passage is actually a rebuke to us. We're supposed to live out a life of exceeding righteousness. We should be head and shoulders above the rest. When people see us, and remember, we live in this fishbowl existence. 
when people see us, they're, they're supposed to see righteousness. They're supposed to see truthfulness. They're supposed to see integrity, credibility. They're supposed to, to see a, a non-retaliatory kind of spirit. They're supposed to see humility and patience and perseverance. This is what people are supposed to see when they look at us believers in Christ. And sometimes we have developed a kind of Christianity which is oftentimes very selfish, very greedy, and very self-righteous at times. And this is not the brand of Christianity that the Lord Jesus was promulgating. This is not the kind of Christianity that the apostles and Paul were promoting. And sadly, there is so much information. I mean, there are so many Christian bookstores, many Christian libraries, and many believers have, have many collections of, of different books. And there are many seminars and conferences. And, and you would like to think that with the abundance of materials, with the abundance of conferences and seminars, you would think that we would be more Christ-like that we would see more humility, that we would see more Christ-likeness. But you know what? Of recent times, what do we see? We see the opposite. We see darkness. We see lust. We see materialism. We see anger. We see self-righteousness. We see uh, Christians bashing each other and what happens is that we find Christians rejoicing when other believers are weeping. And when other, uh, when other believers are, are weeping, others are rejoicing. I mean, it is the exact opposite of what should be happening. And I find that rather tragic in this 21st century. The, the kind of Christianity that we have is so far off from the brand of Christianity that we see in, in the book of Acts, the kind of Christianity that we saw displayed through the early church fathers, the kind of Christianity that, that we see among those who had sacrificed their own lives, those who were devoured by beasts. I mean, we are so far off. And you know, this morning, just like Daniel, I was, I was confessing the sins of the church. And I was crying out to God and I said to God, Lord, forgive your church. Forgive us, O God, for, for we have not been the kind of church that is supposed to be uh, displaying the, the life of Christ. And I begged for God's forgiveness. I, I prayed to God, Lord, pour out your spirit once again upon us so that we might be the bride, the unblemished bride that we are supposed to be. That we are to be the kind of Christians that we're supposed to be. Some of us have, have began to think that because of the knowledge that we have of scriptures, that is a measure of our spirituality. Paul Tripp himself was saying that early on in his Christian life, that was what he thought. He thought that intellectual knowledge, knowledge of the scriptures meant 
spiritual maturity. And he just realized that it was so far from the truth. And you know who confronted him? His own brother and his own wife. His wife confronted him because of his, of his short temper. He would easily blow up when, when he became irritated or annoyed. And he just began to realize that even with all the knowledge that he had of Scripture, he was not being Christ-like. And friends, we just have to understand, Bible knowledge is supposed to bring about transformation in our lives. This is the whole point of Scriptures. This is the whole point of our redemption. Romans 8, 28 and 29 points to the fact that the goal of God for us is conformity to the image of His Son. And that is why Paul himself said this, not that I have obtained perfection, but I press on towards the goal of Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the standard. He is the measure. And all of us should be moving towards that finish line. Incidentally, when the Lord Jesus said, turn the other cheek also, the word turn is in the aorist imperative, which orders action that must be done decisively and immediately. It's just like the Nike slogan, if you still recall, just do it. That is the force of uh, the aorist imperative, just do it. In other words, our reaction, our response should be immediate. Our response to, to physical or um, insults should be that of a non-retaliatory spirit. Meekness should be part of our lives. I recall the uh, story of the Cordish evangelist Billy Bray who before his conversion was a boxer, and a very good one at that. And later on, he retired from boxing, he became a Christian, and he started to work in the mines. And there was one miner there who was so afraid of, of Billy Bray because he knew what, what Billy Bray was capable of doing. He was such a, a strong puncher. But now that Billy Bray had become a Christian, he saw this as an opportunity to get one over Billy Bray. And so guess what he did? He punched Billy Bray. Now Billy Bray just looked at him and said to him, the Lord Jesus Christ forgives you and I forgive you as well. You know what happened to this person who punched Billy Bray? For several days, he felt so guilty and and to make a long story short, that guilt eventually turned into conviction and he became a convert to the Lord Jesus Christ. The same thing happened, by the way, to J. Hudson Taylor. As you very well know, J. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China and uh, so that he would become more effective uh, with the Chinese people. What he did was to dye his hair black because his hair was blonde. And then he started to, to wear uh, the native costume of the Chinese people. And so he, he even had his hair braided. He learned the language of the Chinese. And so he, he looked very much Chinese, except, of course, for uh, the texture of his skin, which was very uh, British, of course. But what happened one time was he was hailing a boat because he was going to cross a river. And the boatman uh, was approaching him. 
But there was this uh, Chinese, uh, very wealthy Chinese, who was in a rush and wanted to ride the boat ahead of J. Hudson Taylor. And so what happened was he pushed him rather violently so that J. Hudson Taylor fell into the mud. And then the boatman said, I'm not, he said to the uh, Chinese man, I'm not going to let you ride the boat because this foreigner, this foreigner was the first one who hailed the boat. Now, the wealthy Chinese realized that it was such an embarrassment. He didn't realize that J. Hudson Taylor was a foreigner. And, and, and so he was deeply embarrassed. But J. Hudson Taylor uh, picked himself up from the mud, rode the boat, and then guess what he did? He asked this wealthy Chinese to join him in the boat. And he began to share the reason why he did not respond and react in a manner of retaliation. And he was able to share the gospel. J. Hudson Taylor believed that he, he uh, created a very deep impression in this man's life. Now, I don't know the rest of the story where he became converted. I would not be surprised at all. But you see, here we find Billy Bray and J. Hudson Taylor giving us examples of how we can respond to some people who might hurt us. Again, let me just reiterate the fact that Jesus, both Jesus and Paul, did not retaliate. So we have some very good examples here. Now we go to verse 40 at this time. It says here in verse 40, If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Again, the question is, are you supposed to apply this literally? Again, uh, as we have mentioned previously, we are not supposed to apply this literally. It doesn't mean that we are to leave ourselves defenseless, defenseless for example, in, in a uh, court of law, or to allow ourselves to be trampled upon and be defeated. And uh, I'd like to cite again a passage, and this time I'd like to use the example of Paul in the Scriptures. In Acts chapter 16, verse 35 it says, now when they came, the chief magistrates uh, sent their policemen saying, release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the chief magistrates have sent to release you. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. Notice the response of Paul in verse 37. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us in public without trial men who are Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now, are they sending us away secretly? No, indeed. But let them come themselves and bring us out. The policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that they were Romans, and they came and appealed to them, and when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. Now, again, notice, did Paul apply this verse literally? Now, again, remember that they were being tried. In fact, there was no process even. They were, they were thrown into prison without the benefit of due process. They were punished uh, 
and without the benefit of a trial. And to top it all, remember that they were Roman citizens. And as Roman citizens, they had the right to have a court hearing. They had the right to defend themselves. They had the right to have a lawyer even so that it could be proven that they were not guilty. Paul had that right. Yet what had happened was in violation of the law, without due process, without the benefit of a trial, and with the fact that Paul was a Roman citizen, he was punished and he was thrown into prison. It was illegal. What had been done was illegal. And so Paul wanted to teach the magistrates a lesson that they were to be very careful in implementing the law according to its spirit. And of course, as Paul did that, the magistrates were so afraid. Why? Because they just realized it was a big boo-boo that they did, uh, most especially realizing that Paul happened to be a Roman citizen, not that he bought his citizenship. Remember that Paul was a Roman citizen by birth. And many of the people at that time, they were Roman citizens because they bought it at a price. In the case of Paul, he was born a Roman citizen, which, uh, which carried a greater, greater weight as well. So the application, however, here is that Paul did not retaliate. The Christian is not to be concerned about personal insults and personal defense. But when it is a matter of justice and truth, he must be concerned and thus make his protest. Why? Because a Christian believes in the law. He believes in upholding the law. And that is not just biblical law. Even civil law should be upheld. And therefore, a Christian can speak in a manner um, that corrects this, this wrong or this violation of the law. So let's move on. And let me just remind you that the context here has to do with a court case. And so let me just read it once again, just uh, to explain a few details here. In verse 40, it reads, If any wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Now, i just like to share to you a little background in regard to this. Um, because there are two words here that probably we're not quite familiar with. The word um, shirt and the word coat. I mean, what does it mean when you talk about a shirt um, um, in, in, a, in a Jewish setting? The shirt in a Jewish setting happens to be the undergarment, all right, or the undershirt, all right? Uh, when you're well, wearing a, a polo shirt, for example, you have obviously an undershirt. And uh, the coat here happens to be the outer garment. It's supposed to be a thick outer garment. And by the way, this outer garment was used as a blanket at night. Now, in a court of law, you cannot demand uh, to get the coat of a person. 
And the reason why you cannot demand it is because the coat uh, is used as uh, a sort of protection during the cold of night. Remember, as I mentioned to you, it serves as a blanket at night. And that is why, according to the law of the land at that time, you cannot take the coat. Unless, of course, it is voluntary given as payment for a debt. It is voluntary given as payment for a debt. So what's the point here of the Lord Jesus Christ? The point simply here is that we are not to show any resentfulness or bitterness to anyone who goes against us. How are we to overcome? We are to overcome evil, not by doing evil, but we are to overcome evil by doing good. So that is the point of this passage. And by the way, let me just look at two phrases here. The phrase have and let him have your coat also are both in the aorist imperative. And what, does, what did we say about the aorist imperative? This is something that we're supposed to do quickly and decisively. So again, the point of the Lord Jesus Christ is this attitude should be automatic with us. When we are, when we are hurt, our natural, immediate, quick response should be a non-retaliatory kind of spirit. This is what God wants us, um, uh, this is what God wants from us. Now in verse 41, it says, Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Now, according to Roman law, and I have to cite to you the background here so that you could appreciate uh, what the Lord was trying to explain here. According to Roman law, a Roman soldier could require a civilian to carry his backpack for what was called uh, as a million or what is uh, known as a Roman mile. So a Roman soldier could require somebody, a civilian, to carry his backpack. Now the problem is the backpack normally contains uh, the weapons and the equipment of the Roman soldier, which means to say that it will be quite heavy. So can you imagine being called by a Roman soldier and asked to carry his backpack for a million or a Roman mile? Now, of course, that will not only be inconvenient, it would be greatly uncomfortable. It's, it's a heavy burden to carry, obviously, and this is the reason why there were many Jews and many civilians who hated the Romans because they were very, very abusive. And they would, they would tell uh, civilians to carry their backpacks. So the point here of the Lord Jesus Christ is that we are to be willing to do what is no longer our duty with magnanimity. We are to be willing to do what is no longer our duty uh, with magnanimity. And I recall the example of uh, my brother, Brother Jess. Uh, he was working with ABS-CBN uh, before. He was under the merchandising and arts department. And obviously, 
being part of the merchandising and arts department, he had his own job description, which I believe that he did rather excellently because I know my brother, he is, uh, he's an excellent worker. Um, he does his work diligently and uh, he doesn't leave um, any job uh, incomplete. He always performs rather well. But you know what? Uh, when he was working with ABS-CBN, he doubled up by doing things that were not really part of his job description, things that were not really required of him. And so he would, he would work um, on editing. He would work on photography. He would sometimes double up even as a, a cameraman. And he would even run errands for, for the people in his company. And when my brother resigned from ABS-CBN, can you believe this? A lot of the people, a lot of his fellow employees wept and cried as if it was the end of the world. Why? Because he made so much impact with them. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, they knew that my brother Jess was a genuine Christian. He was Christ-like. And this is something that uh, not only people in ABS-CBN have been saying, I mean, many other people who have observed the conduct and the character of my brother have seen a, a Christ-like character in him. And I'm not trying to put him on a pedestal, but I believe that my brother is such a great example of this self-sacrificing, non-retaliatory, magnanimous kind of spirit. And again, this is what the Bible promotes. And remember that uh, as believers in Christ, we are supposed to die to ourselves and live for the glory of God. Now let's go to verse 42 at this time. Verse 42 reads to us, Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. So what's the point of this passage? What is the Lord really trying to say? Well, what the Bible is trying to prevent here, or what the Bible, or what the Lord Jesus Christ is trying to hit here, is the possessiveness that we often have, the selfish possessiveness, the mind attitude. Now, of course, you've, you've observed some toddlers and oftentimes they behave in a rather selfish way. I mean, they think that everything belongs to them so that everything they touch is mine. And this is something that we find with, with children and, and we laugh at that. It's something that seems to be normal among toddlers that they have this mine attitude. But you know, we're grown-up people, and we are not supposed to have this selfish possessiveness. We are not supposed, as believers in Christ most especially, we are not to have this mind attitude, this, this selfish, greedy, materialistic attitude. So what is the Lord Jesus promoting here? He is promoting selflessness. He is promoting generosity. Generosity is something that should be ours in abundance. Now, of course, 
in application, this does not mean indiscriminate giving. I recall of a mother who had a daughter who was a drug addict. And whatever this, this daughter asked of her, she just gave to her without any question. Now, is that right? My answer to that is obviously that's wrong. Jesus is not teaching us here indiscriminate giving. What he is simply teaching here is that we are to be generous with people who have a genuine need. People who have a genuine need, we are to be helpful, we are to be generous. So that is what is being promoted here. Now, again, as in the other verbs that we found, the word give, the word turn, the word do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you are all in the aorist imperative. Once again, this is talking about decisive, immediate action. And obviously, the point of Jesus Christ is that this is the, the automatic attitude that we're supposed to have. When we see somebody in need, we should be very generous. I mean, it's not something that we should mull over for a long period of time, for, for several hours. No, when we see a need, we should immediately respond to that need. And again, if that need happens to be genuine. Remember, the balance here is we're not talking about indiscriminate giving. So the bottom line in this passage is that as believers in Christ, we are to live our lives with exceeding righteousness. Remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you cannot be part of the kingdom of God. And remember, when it comes to external righteousness, the Pharisees were very, very righteous externally. Remember that the Lord Jesus mentioned that they tithed um, uh, dill and mint. They tithed the smallest seeds even. And they were people who, who gave to charity, but they made sure that there was a trumpet that was sounded and that their good deeds were heralded. They fasted twice a week. So they did a lot of humanly righteous things. But remember what Jesus said? Unless you exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you cannot be part of God's kingdom. And the question is, can we exceed that kind of a righteousness? Obviously, we can. Why? Because if we happen to be genuine believers in Christ, we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Our hearts of stone have been replaced with hearts of flesh. And because of the power of the Holy Spirit within us, we are able to live a life of overcoming temptation, a life that is able to overcome whatever trials come our way. We are able to respond in a manner that is Christ-like, that is head and shoulders above the rest. And that is why I appeal to those who still do not have Christ. I'd like to tell you that the required righteousness of God 
is, is a very high standard. It is a very lofty standard. It is a standard of perfection. Christ is the measure. He is the standard. And unless you come to Christ, unless you surrender yourself to Christ, you can never ever have this righteousness. You can never ever live above and beyond the common human righteousness. You need to have Christ in your life. And once you receive and surrender your life to Jesus, not only will you have this empowered life, this radical change, you will likewise have eternal life. Your name will be written in the book of life. Salvation, redemption, sanctification comes to you as a free gift of God. And all you have to do is receive it. Receive the free gift of salvation. Receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Surrender your life to God. Repent before Him. And you will be able to live this Spirit-empowered life. A life that is the guarantee and the assurance of eternal life. A guarantee of heaven. That is all for you given and accomplished by Christ at the cross. The choice is yours. And I pray that if you have not yet surrendered your life, you will do so even today. So again, uh, I hope that we brought clarity to the passage that we have studied today. And I pray that we might apply the very spirit of what Jesus is teaching. Remember, a self-sacrificing, non-retaliatory, magnanimous, generous spirit. That is what you and I are supposed to have as believers in Christ. Let's bow our heads in prayer at this time. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for today. Thank you for enlightening us. And our prayer, O Lord, is that as we have understood your word, we might apply it so that as we apply it, we become credible witnesses of your resurrection power. Thank you for today and thank you, Lord, that we could give our tithes, our grace gifts, and our offerings. Lord, use them for the glory of your name. And Lord, whatever has been achieved today, we give you back all glory and praises. Amen. And amen.